It be too late to alter course, matey, and there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey, dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 64 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Adam Liebrich Johnson of the Royal French Privateers of Clan Darksail is taking time out from all of his pillaging and plundering to join us on friday as a special guest Woohoo! and if all goes well he'll just kind of stay the night and then roll back with us on monday so that should be good we will have a swashbuckler of a good time i can only imagine and that's going to be discussing buccaneers and pirates of the caribbean so make sure you hit that subscribe button to make sure you don't miss an episode that's the good news the bad news I've decided to boycott San Diego Comic-Con 2017. <laughs> this was just a big year considering the return of Pirates of the Caribbean with Dead Men Tell No Tales coming out. And it would have been the perfect opportunity to see pirate cosplay and some great attendee interviews and get all that good feedback on the movies and then we could share with the audience. Plus, it would have just been nice to get to San Diego. But they decided not to give me a badge. I sat there in the waiting room watching all the day sell out until they eventually gave me the get the hell out of here notice. You don't get any badges this year, sir. Basically what they told me. They gave me the big digital middle finger is basically what I got. I've come to terms with it only after casting a bit of a curse on those dirty bilge rats. Especially those who were responsible for not shuffling me into the checkout. So I'm boycotting Comic Con 2017. I'll try again next year. Hey, yeah, I may try it again. It's only a one-year boycott. I don't want to get too crazy on it. So I'll sit this one out. They can't make me go now. Yeah. And then I'll just try again in 2018. Do you really think you're going to get ever get in? Yeah, I will get in. See, that's the kind of negativity that causes me not to get in. Yeah, but they give preferential treatment to people who have gone before. That gives like 10% of people who've never gone before. Boy, Debbie Downer here. <laughs> Guess who won't be going with me? I will have an open spot then if anybody wants to partner up because I do have an opening all of a sudden for Comic-Con 2018. Now where's the grog? In the previous minute, Captain Jack Sparrow had a Jolly Mon reunion with Anna Maria, an event that highlighted his status as a true ladies' man with a slap or two across the face. Will Turner is all smiles when he generously offers Jack's commandeered ship, the Interceptor, to Anna Maria as payment for the waterlogged Jolly Mon, and for her and the Motley crew's assistance in retrieving the Black Pearl, I mean Elizabeth Swan. Gibbs also offers a bit of advice, a public service message, if you will, that bringing a woman on board is frightfully bad luck. Leave it to Gibbs to state the obvious. <laughs> With a no, 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 no. Exactly. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't actually blast me for saying that that was obvious that you shouldn't have a woman on board. That was a pure setup, and you just failed. You looked over it. Are you 
just oblivious to that fact. You were so concerned with Gibbs because of the yes. infatuation with Gibbs. You just glossed right over that. So it's too late now. You can't even comment on it because minute 64 begins with Will and Gibbs looking perplexed as they try to decipher Jack's fascination with the sky. We immediately cut to the HMS Interceptor battling one hell of a storm. The Motley crew is wrestling with the wind as Jack works to maintain their current heading. The minute ends with Gibbs making his way to the helm to ask Jack, We should drop canvas, sir. To which Jack replies, She can hold a bit longer. What's? Dot 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 is where we leave things with Gibbs and his stormy cliffhanger. Dot dot dot. The dot dot dot. So I'm going to let everyone in on a little secret here. It's a secrets. it's a different secret. It's not the one that Heather's being left if we ever get tickets to Comic-Con. <laughs> it's actually, I know that I really do appear to have all my ducks in a row. I have this masterful perception and insight regarding the film. I can spot a crazy banana symbol from a mile away. By the way, thanks for the thousands of pieces of fan mail stroking my ego every day that I get from the fans out there. It's just crazy. You how much fan mail? Yeah, I do. Oh, oh, oh. Was, was I talking in my sleep again? <laughs> oh, before I dozed off, I was actually going to say I can't believe I missed the real reference with Jack Sparrow looking into the sky a bit. I always assumed I it was... I thought you were going to say the real reference of the banana. <laughs> oh, man, we're already going into banana territory now? That's what I thought you were going to say. No. You're, see, that's right. Everybody heard it now. Her mind is always in the gutter, and that's what it is. But what I was saying is that regarding Jack looking into the sky in this minute is that I always assumed it was because he was well... Touched? Let's just say a little touched. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And that this was just another one of his unique mannerisms. And the evidence I used to back this up was that we see in the start of this particular minute Will and Gibbs getting that really confused kind of perplexed look, as I said in the opener. Yeah. As they are trying to figure out what in the scurvy dog Jack was looking at when he was talking with them, they were really just at the end of that. They're trying to look up and like decipher what is going on <laughs> yeah. here with that. Then we suddenly cut to the interceptor in the middle of a big storm. Now I realize there is actually three meanings with this scene after I really started to look at it. And it's a bit of a something for everyone, I think. I think the writers really give something that everybody could take away from this. It's like one of those movies that has that cryptic ending and leaves things for the audience to decide on an individual basis what happened. You know, it's not that artsy. It's not, we don't have that artsy level here with this because it's really, this is just about looking into the sky. The life of pie, right? Well, that could be one of them. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's something that leaves you wondering and maybe drives you insane if you prefer to have hard closure like Heather. But if you choose your own meaning <laughs> thing, do. she just, yeah, the choose your own meaning or what happened at the end, it'll drive her nuts. It she'd does. rather just, she'd rather have it be the dumbest ending, but yeah. as long as it was spelled out and didn't leave it up to your own thoughts yeah she's better at that if it's just open-ended she's ready to kill yeah it's like what the hell and then i have to talk for hours after because it just annoys the heck out of me (laughs) well trust me i know (laughs) that's not the only thing that annoys the hell out of somebody that's for sure so the first one that i came up with as i said when i first saw this I thought it was Jack's mannerisms. And so the first one that I have on my list here is that Jack is really, well, it's his craziness. He's dealing with all of these weird things that he does. And this is just part of his unique character and part of his traits is to kind of get that weird, I'm a space cadet, I'm looking into the sky kind of deal. And he just keeps us guessing as to really what's up with this guy or what's up with (laughs) Captain Jack Sparrow. And like I said, this is what I always thought it was. I thought it was just some of his unique mannerisms and he just his likes, stuff. 
He just likes messing with people. Well, that's what it was. It, it looked get like him he was to do messing things. with things. So actually, before I go on, I mean, what do you think? What What did you think when you first watched the movie or even when you reviewed the minute for the show here? What did you think he was doing? Were you on my I, page? Did he, he thought you thought it was part of just his well, weird mannerisms? Actually, I got that the more I watched it. Okay. The first time I figured they were they seen the storm coming. Yeah. Okay. But then as I watched it a couple more times, I actually got it was his mannerisms and he's just kind of looking in the sky just to get other people to look up in the sky for the heck of it. It's like that joke. You like stare off at something like yeah. you see something and then you get everybody to look and there's nothing and there. And then you walk away. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, that's crazy. It is. I mean, but that's that could be him. I, I don't. I didn't take it that he was actually trying to get people to look like, you know, he's like holding a, he's like trying to put something in their view. So they see like a circle or something. Yeah, Because if you watch it and you look at the look on his face, he kind of looks up at this face he gives. And then all of a sudden he turns away and the other two are looking up like, what was he looking at? It's like when, it's like that thing when you can like rub your cheek or you can like, Lick your, do something else. lick your teeth or something, and then you get somebody else to do it because they think, oh, maybe I have something in my teeth or I have something on me. Yeah. So that's what your take was. Yes. I just thought it was just his crazy uniqueness and his the way he just moves and does things. I but you're he just likes the to make people do things that they wouldn't normally do. <laughs> Look up at the sky. So he really is in the true definition of a trickster, not like the Bugs Bunny trickster, but actually like a jokester now. Yeah. yeah. Well, your first instinct was where I was going with my second thing is that Jack really is this experienced pirate and an expert seaman and he could really just see the storm approaching, which is why he wanted to get the show on the road and agreed without any really resistance to giving Anna Maria the ship that Will suggested. Okay. But Gibbs and Will look like they can't see the storm coming. Yeah, they look confused. So I don't think that they could. It was necessarily that they could see it overtly, but maybe there were signs or there was a changing wind or something that Jack perceived, something in the air that caught Jack's attention to see that a storm was coming. Yeah. but wasn't so overt and obvious that Will and Gibbs could immediately see what it was. Must have been those red skies. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> Then the third one is maybe what I'm really seeing into this, and now is my preferred version of this, is that women really are frightfully bad luck, and Gibbs was right the whole time that they should not have brought Anna Maria aboard the ship or the Interceptor, because boom, what happens as soon as they do that? A crazy storm. (laughs) It is one crazy storm. So that's what I'm saying. Those are the three options that we get to pick from. You can choose your own adventure out there. I'm now opting for women or bad luck on yeah, board the ship because we've seen it already in the movie. At least my experience now is young Elizabeth obviously destroyed that merchant ship, got them into trouble, got Will on board. All of this craziness happened because of that. And now we see Anna Maria on board in the storm. I don't know. I think I'm siding with Gibbs on this. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with them looking in the sky. I said it has nothing to do with this. <laughs> Wait, that's what you said. <laughs> yeah. You've been drinking that grog, haven't you? I have. <laughs> it has nothing to do with them looking into the sky. That's just Jack sensing that Gibbs was right. He so you only sense- have two. Because soon oh. as soon as Jack agrees it's to have Anna weather, Maria though. on, then the weather started to kick up. <laughs> That's what was really perplexing. He's like, 
yeah, she needs to come on board. We need to have her. And then all of a sudden he's just like, you could probably see like <laughs> tornadoes and, and funnel clouds forming. He, he sees the weather future. Yeah, he does. And that's uh, that's what I think happened. That's my that's my Kay. guess. Okay. I'm go I'm gonna go with uh he's just a jokester trying to make everybody look in the sky. Well, I did get some definitive proof, oh, and that okay. was from Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott. And they weren't sure if it was actually clear, which it obviously isn't because we've had three <laughs> hypotheses here. Well, but, two. No, I said three, lady. <laughs> it's really true. <laughs> there's three, obviously clear. One really is in the front, and then there's a couple of like smaller sub-hypotheses that really aren't correct. Yeah, but you said... I said I thought that, you, but I changed well, my mind. Well, two of your hypoth- hypotheses were him looking in the science sky and seeing the storm coming. Yeah, but that was just really I needed a couple of other ones to really show you. It's like when you present bad evidence to highlight the good. And that's what I did. Okay. But the writers, they actually say it was options saying that, number one, that Jack saw the pending storm. And I guess, it, like I said, it really wasn't clear because we had to come up with a bunch of other options to see what that was. But their intention was The the storm. That okay. he saw. But I think that the direction on that was a little weird. Because well, it wasn't like Jack was like, or, you know, they could have left it at Jack. But what they did, and they ruined that, if you want to call it that, if you want to call it ruined. Or maybe they were doing this thing of you can read into it whatever you want. But they made, or, or the director, at least Verbinski, had Gibbs and Turner, Will Turner, looked confused like they didn't see yeah. what Jack saw. Now, if they had looked in the sky... And been like, what? Oh, and did something like uh, they see, they're confused, and then they get that light bulb click like, oh, then we would have understood. But the fact that we cut when they were confused led me to believe that they didn't know what the hell was going on. But Jack is not a sailor. I'm sorry. Wow. (laughs) I was wrong there. Jack's a sailor. Jack lives his life on the sea. Yeah. Right? That's where he's most comfortable. Well, Gibbs was in Tortuga. Gibbs has been on the sea, right? Yeah, we went through his background, though, but he was a pirate, and then he was in the Navy, and then maybe a it's pirate It's been a again. while, though. How long? We don't know how long he's been okay, in that. Okay, never mind. I was trying to make a thing, but... You're trying to make a thing? Oh, I'm going to are... deny that. That's what happens here. <laughs> and Will doesn't know anything about weather. That I'll give you is Will doesn't really have that inkling for the sea, but Gibbs should have known as is a first mate and somebody who's been on the sea. That's what I'm saying. He's confused. It's the controversy here. We don't know. But that's my guess. So leave it up to everybody out there. Everybody can choose their own one, knowing that I'm right, and but you can still choose your own one. Well Rossio said which one it was. Hey, I told you which one it was. (laughs) (laughs) That's Rossio. You got me saying their names wrong now. <laughs> Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott, they need to listen to me now because I've actually laid down the law on this. They said it wasn't clear, or they asked if it wasn't clear, and I said it was. So yeah, we should probably just move on because we probably spent way too much time on this. <laughs> yeah. Since we were speaking of the storm, the one that was caused by a woman on board, it was actually a mix of a miniature replica ship of the Interceptor in a pool on the studio lot. Wind, rain, and wave machines simulated the storm to make it look like it was this ship sailing out in the rough waters. Also, there was a 700-plus gallon drop tank that could send a huge deluge into the tank for kind of a rogue wave or big wave effect that would hit the side of this replica ship, which is pretty cool. 
And then I heard some mixed information that the replica ship on the set, not this miniature one, but the actual replica one that you've talked about before that was in the studio. Yeah. Was accompanied by wind and a rain, kind of wind and rain machines. And then with the actors that were on board there so they could get that. So they weren't really out on the water there in the studio. There's just a bunch of wind and rain machines going on to, to have that effect. And okay. it's kind of on a rigging system. Then I heard that they were actually on the waters or in the harbor of Southern California being doused with fireboat water cannons to help Seriously? make that, yeah, that effect. Wow. So I, I just can't imagine that they were really on the water for that, but I don't it know. Seems, it seems like it would be kind of dangerous to a point. Yeah, that's so I'm not really sure, but I'm kind of going with the studio thing. Yeah. But maybe there was some elements that were mashed together to form that whole thing. I don't know. They were getting sloshed about quite a bit. I don't know. Yeah. So that's a good question. Well, I, mean, I might have to do some more looking into it. But either way, the actors weren't exactly comfortable out there. We'll just say that. Because they're being pushed around and, and all over the place. Did you see Marty swinging from the the ropes out there? I did see that. He was actually like a Tarzan kind of guy. Getting around move. by trying to hold that rigging. Maybe yeah. that's why Jack was giving him the once over. And, and Will wasn't exactly <laughs> thrilled to have maybe him on board. But then they come together in the end, and then that's why he comes back for all the movies, is because he's awesome. <laughs> the pool that was used for the miniature replica that we see here, this kind of replica ship, was 70 feet wide and 140 feet long and 40 inches deep. And this isn't the studio one. This is the one that doesn't have any people on board. It's the smaller version. It's a miniature one. It's a miniature. 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 And the ships were mounted on a rig that could be controlled like puppeteering to move it about and give it that jostling effect. Huh. And then you also, like I said, had the wind, wave machines, rain, and a drop tank that would just send a bunch of water into the pool there. And then there was obviously a green screen backdrop on the pool so that they could put in any background that they needed at any time. Right. Not that the, you could see a background because of all the rain and everything. No, but they also used it during the daytime, too. Oh, It was also okay. for day, oh, yeah, day yeah, shots. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I was thinking of only this scene because I'm only talking this minute. While we're on this crazy storm ship thing going on here, which is a weird way to put it, Will is wondering how they can find the island that no one can find with a broken compass. It's the one Norrington made fun of back in the early teen minutes of the show, if you recall. Anyways, Gibbs hits him and he really hits us with the news that the compass doesn't point north and we're not trying to find north. So this is really the first big reveal that the compass, at least for now, points to the island and not north. It's not a traditional compass. Right? right. Right? Right. Yeah. What? You don't think so? Well, I don't know if it actually hits you right then and there as to what this compass really does. Well, if it doesn't point north, doesn't that's point the north, idea. Is it, and he yeah. says that they're not going north. He says it doesn't point north, and north is not what we're looking for. Right. So they're looking for the island. Therefore, the compass is pointing to the island is what we get at this particular stage. Yes. Whether... That's correct through the whole movie, we can't tell you right now, but as of what we know now, the compass doesn't point north, it points to where they're headed, which is where they're headed is to the island. Yes. Right? I agree, yes. Okay, it's about time. Thank you. I needed a little more clarification, I guess. But my question for you then is, how does Will know the compass doesn't point north? He wasn't on the dock with Norrington, Right. He wasn't there. He doesn't know if the compass no, points north or not. There. Unless Jack told him. I don't know. It just doesn't seem that Jack would tell him anything about the compass from what I gather when reading about the compass. 
How does he know that the compass is broken and doesn't point north? I'm trying to remember back to see if he's the compass has ever come up or if Will's ever actually looked at it. I don't think so. It's a good question. How yeah. does he know? And there's something else that we talked about. How did Will know something? And I can't recall right now what it was, but we talked about something like that before. The so. boat. Oh, the, the Jolly, Jolly Mon, Mon recently. Yeah. yeah how did he know week. about the Jolly Mon? Yeah. And we made some guesses about what how that jives with what they were saying. And the Interceptor is obviously a better ship. And she said boat, that kind of stuff. But here's evidence that I can't quite figure out just yet. And I'll have to probably give it a little more thought is how does he know that the compass was broken? Especially or does since, it point north? Yeah. since Especially since Jack is so careful or protective of the compass. How would How would Will know this? Yeah, that's a good question. He didn't see it. I don't believe he's seen it. Yeah. Hmm. Compasses have been around for a very long time. And the first compasses in ancient Han dynasty in China were made of lodestone, which is a naturally magnetized ore of iron. The compass was later used for navigation during the Song dynasty of the 11th century. Later compasses were made of iron needles, magnetized by striking them with a lodestone. Dry compasses began to appear around 1300 in medieval Europe and the Islamic world. This was supplanted in the early 20th century by the liquid-filled magnetic compass. What about the leaf on water? That is also a good one. That's a, what a lot of sailors use to this actual day. Oh, really? They prefer to use that over GPS technology. <laughs> That's why so many ships are getting lost out there. <laughs> ah, the leaf pointed this way. It's like I rubbed that needle on my vest to give it a little static and... <laughs> And it didn't take us where we wanted to go. But as far as our compass here that we see, Jack's compass, it was obtained from Tia Dalma. And she's the voodoo queen we see in Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and 3. So we won't really get much into her. But she is the voodoo lady, which Heather can... The voodoo queen. Yeah, the voodoo queen that Heather can really relate to. I can. And, yeah, you can. And Jack's compass was a compact device whose domed cover was made from pure lapis lazuli. The inside lid was detailed with a map of the heavens. The central shadow vein makes the compass also work as a sundial, and the compass disc itself was sliced from a walrus tusk. Lapis lazuli? Exactly. Do you happen to know what that is? Yes, it's a deep blue metamorphic rock. Oh, wow. So there you go, and everybody wants to know what that is. There it is. Very cool. At some point, Jack Sparrow would barter the compass from Tia Dalma years prior to his search for the treasure of Isla de Muerta. It is currently unknown what Jack gave to Tia in exchange for the compass. However, he was careful not to talk about the compass to anyone but those who knew about its existence. That's why I'm saying, how would Will know about the compass and that it didn't point north or was broken? A compass that doesn't point north. That's what Norrington said. So it's almost like... And things that we've seen that Will was was there at the dock. Oh, and, and that's that's what it was, too. It wasn't just that, but Will had an understanding and a knowledge of Jack Sparrow's interaction with Elizabeth. Yes. As a pirate. And we were right. wondering, how did he get that information so quickly when Jack just escaped? Right. And showed up there. I mean, Will Turner wasn't in the blacksmith shop to begin with, and so he was wandering around town, so maybe... He ran into Elizabeth or he saw the some of the soldiers and they were telling stories about what was going on. Maybe he asked. I don't know. It's almost like Will was maybe supposed to be on the dock at some point and seeing some of this happen. And then he wasn't. Right. But some of the lines didn't change. 
maybe Will has this line between him and Jack where he knows Like a Jack's couple of tin thoughts. cans and a string behind. <laughs> <laughs> Will was in the blacksmith shop listening yes. on the other end of the can. Yes. It's a good question. It's very interesting. But yeah, so there are some discrepancies that I, I can't quite figure out of how he knows some of these things. And like I said, I probably just need to think about them a little harder and then make something up if that's what it is. But as far as Jack, <laughs> by the late 1720s, the compass would be in the possession of Laura Smith. And she was the captain of the infamous pirate ship Le Fleur de Mort. When she and the crew of the fishing boat Barnacle, led by Jack Sparrow, escaped from the pirate guard in New Orleans, Laura used the compass to find her ship. Thus, it is a tieback in the expanded universe to Jack's early days and perhaps something maybe we find out about in Dead Men Tell No Tales because we do see a young Jack Sparrow on board a ship swinging that compass around. And so there is a connection to his past and that he's had that. So the exact timeline of when Jack Sparrow bartered the compass from Tia Dalma is unknown. However, it is known that Jack got it at least 10 years prior to the events of the Curse of the Black Pearl. There's also a connection to the compass and Disneyland, or at least the Disneyland parks. So Jack Sparrow compass appears in several Disneyland attractions, including Pirates of the Caribbean, The Legend of Captain Jack Sparrow, in which the compass hangs on Jack's belt or is used by Jack himself. It's also in a pirate's adventure, Treasures of the Seven Seas, and Jack's compass guides new pirate recruits on a raid throughout Adventureland to collect valuable treasures. Oh, wow. There you go. Very useful tool he's got here. Exactly. It's a possession you don't want to get rid of. That's why I think he's really protective of it. Yeah. Keeps it close. That's right. So the compass is taking him where he wants to go, to Isla de Muerta. Yes. That's where I end. I don't really have much more than that, so I don't know if you have anything going on. Besides, it's a stormy, rainy it is a stormy, boat rainy, ship ride, if I want to call is. it that. I wanted to call it a boat, but... Yeah. It is. It is crazy. Well, when we were listening to the... I think it was the writers talking about it. They said that at times you couldn't get picture because it was so... Oh, it wasn't the writers. It was Gore Verbinski okay. and Johnny Depp. And they were talking about how much rain was actually being produced by their machines that you couldn't even really get shots of the camera. So what they actually used for those of the crew were the limited ones that they could actually see or get to to basically get on film that were usable because it was so heavy. So crew couldn't see what was going on or the actors, I guess, couldn't see that on the picture we're having trouble seeing as well as getting any camera shots because it was just being drowned out by all the water. So if you don't have anything else... I say we wrap it up. No, that's all I have for tonight. All right. We'll be back tomorrow with Minute 65 of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Get Scott more grog. (laughs) I could use more grog today. What's that, Banjo? Heather's been drinking at the Faithful Bride Tavern? Take me to her, buddy. Blimey. Passed out in the mud with the pigs? Again? This sty is your second home. Heather, wake up! The show's done and you're supposed to tell everyone where they can find us, where the after party is, and how their voicemail may be featured on the show. Banjo, get me a bucket. Hey, Scallywags, while Banjo's getting some water to wake up Heather, it's time I say thanks for listening. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. 
And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook and Twitter. If you're interested in our best of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are at blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy.